Welcome to the July 11th sermon from Clifford Baptist Church, 635 Fletcher's Level Road in Amherst. Today's scripture is John chapter 14, verses 8 through 21, and the sermon is entitled, How to Accomplish God's Will, delivered today by Pastor Michael Fitzgerald. I want you to take your Bible, turn with me today to the Gospel of John chapter 14 once again. A marathon study through this gospel. I have loved this study. I pray that you are gathering and gleaning truth and growth points yourself through this study as I have been gathering in my own life. But I want you to understand that John has a passion for this book he wrote through the inspiration of God. The reason John wrote this gospel as God was leading him and pushing the pen along on the paper, the reason he wrote the gospel was to bring the world to the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. That is the purpose of the gospel. It is still the purpose of our church to bring the world to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, beginning right here in our community. And praise God for, uh, for his allowing us to reach out to our country and to our world. So as we open the Gospel of John, chapter 14, let me backtrack just a little bit to get everybody on the same page. If you're joining us for the first time today, I want you to know where we are in the study. John 14 opens. Jesus is spending time with those men who have followed him in ministry for three years. We know them as the disciples. The disciple group will be down to 11 because Judas Iscariot has been dismissed from the group. This was the Thursday night. In John 14, this is the Thursday night before Friday morning comes, the day of the cross. This is the eve of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord had shared with his disciples the Passover meal. He had bowed on his knees and washed their feet in an act of humility. Can you get your mind wrapped around the fact that the God of the universe has bowed on his knees to wash his disciples' feet, to teach them humility and honoring others? But Jesus gives them the lesson of true humility, and he says, do what I have done to you. You go do it to others. Show them a life of humility and service. What we see in John 14 is Jesus preparing these men for his death, for his departure. They don't know it's coming yet. Though it's less than 24 hours away, they don't know exactly what is coming. And he's comforting them at the very same time and strengthening them to stand on their own spiritual legs because it will not be long before Jesus is physically, bodily, not going to be on the earth much longer. And so he's preparing his disciples to take the baton of ministry and service and preaching the word to take it on into the world as he leaves that place for them to travel into the world after him. Now last time we studied, we looked at John 14 verses 1 through 7. If you remember very briefly, Thomas asked Jesus a question uh, as we go through that passage of Scripture. It's honest. It's forthright. Uh, it's direct. Lord, you're telling us that you're going away, but we don't know exactly where you're going, and we don't know exactly how to get there. You say you're going. You're saying we're coming after you, but we don't know where it is, and we don't know exactly how we're going to get there. Can you explain that? And Jesus gives Thomas some very, very simple words, not just to, for Thomas, but for all the disciples and for all the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have any inclination to memorize one verse of Scripture, it is John 14, 6, where Jesus tells his disciples and tells the world, I am the way and the truth and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. 
Learn that verse of Scripture that you might say it by heart because all of the Bible, all of the Bible from the Old to the New Testament marches around that one verse. All of the Bible, the sacrificial system of the Old Testament, all of the words of Revelation point back to the fact that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life and no one's going to get to the Father and no one's going to get to the heaven and to eternal life and to forgiveness but through Him. That's the truth of the Bible. And we need to know that that is the centerpiece of all that we hear. So today, we're going to pick up the conversation now as Jesus continues on with his disciples in John chapter 14. They're still in the room where he celebrated Passover with them, still in the place where he washed their feet. We continue on. Remember now, the disciples are grappling with understanding what is happening in the days that are ahead. They're on the eve of Good Friday and the cross the greatest soul event in human history. They don't know that it's coming, but they do feel the tension. They do feel the gravity that something huge is coming very soon. They just don't quite understand it all yet, and they're trying to take it all in, and it's overwhelming their minds and their spirits as they're with Jesus and hearing his words to them right now. So as the conversation with Jesus continues, let's pick up with John chapter 14. We're going to look first at verses 8 through 11. Keep your Bible open with me today. I'm going to go to it several times in Scripture. If you're streaming with us, keep your Bible open. Keep it on your lap, on your coffee table, wherever you are. But follow along with me as we start with John chapter 14, going uh, to verse 8. Look at these words. Philip saith unto him, Lord... Show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet thou hast not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, Show us the Father? Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you I speak not of myself, But the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very works' sake. So Jesus is comforting his disciples in this very intense evening. He has told them that he's going away. They don't quite comprehend exactly how he's going away, but he's told them that he is. And he, he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you in heaven, and one of these days I'm going to the place that where I am, I'm going to come back and get you and take you there so that where I am, there you might be also. It's not time for you to come. He is letting them know that they're going to have a future ministry as he is physically absent on the earth. But he said, one day you will come and you will be with me. And Jesus then says, I want you to know that I have a will and a plan and a purpose for your life. And then Philip speaks up. One of the disciples speaks up. John 14, 8. He says, Lord, just show us the Father and we'll all be satisfied. How can we get to know God the Father better? Is essentially what Philip is asking Jesus. How can we get to know God the Father better? And Jesus says, Philip, Philip. I've been with you three years now. I've been with you so long now. Have you not picked up in these three years that when you know me, you're coming to know the Father? The Father and I are one. When you see the multitudes gather and hear the Word of God through me, 
when you're there when I'm healing someone, when I'm there teaching, when I'm preaching, you're hearing the Father. You're getting to know the Father already because you're getting to know me. You're hearing the Word of God through me. I am God. The Father and I are one. So the words that I've spoken are words of the Father. You're getting to know the Father every time you're with me. Now, I want us to concentrate on a word here. Uh, And we see it quite often in the Gospel of John. Jesus says, I want you to know me. I want you to know the Father. The word is know, K-N-O-W. And the word is a very important word in the Gospel of John. In fact, it appears in the Gospel 141 times. But it appears here in these verses, and it's very important that we understand what the word know means in relation to Scripture. In the Greek language, the word know, K-N-O-W, has four levels. Let's go through them from the base level on to a higher level. So at the very base level, the first level, the, the, the lowest level of knowing is to know a fact. Let's say that the fact is in this July, it's hot outside. That's a fact. We know that it's hot outside. We've experienced it. We know it's a fact. Okay, the second level of knowing is why that fact is true. Okay, it's hot outside because it's summertime and the sun is the closest to the earth during the summertime. And so it's hotter in that time of year. So you know a fact and you know why the fact takes place. That's where the world lives. That's where the world of finance and uh, the world of news, uh, we get facts all the time. And we get why the facts are happening. So the world lives on those two levels basically. The world of facts and why the facts take place. But let's go to the third level of knowing. When you get to the third level of knowing in terms of Greek, you jump into relationship, knowing someone, knowing about being related to a person. And the more you know a person and the more time you spend with that person, the more you come into an intimate relationship with that person. So the the hi, how you doing, nice weather type conversation, that's knowing someone, but on a very superficial level. The more you spend time with them and the more they get to know you as a person, the knowing, the knowledge gets deeper and deeper. So the fourth level of knowledge is when you know someone so deeply, so intimately, that it changes your life. It affects you physically and emotionally and mentally and spiritually when you get to know a person on that level. That's the level of husband and wife. That's the level of your closest relationship with a brother or sister in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the relationship of your closest friend with whom you share stuff that you don't share with anybody else in the world. That's the fourth level of knowing, that you intimately know someone so much that it changes your life. And that's the level that we're supposed to know Jesus on. When we come into that saving knowledge of Jesus and give him our heart as our Savior, then the rest of our life we're coming to that intimate relationship with him that we might know him and surrender to him fully. That's the relationship that Jesus wants with us. We know that he is totally faithful to us. Our relationship with him is to build that relationship that we're totally faithful to him. Paul expresses it well. In Philippians chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, he says this, I want to win Christ and be found in him in faith that I may know 
him. What Paul was saying is, I want to know Jesus so well that my life is totally surrendered to him, that my life is totally lived in him, so that everything I think and do, everything of my life is connected to what Jesus is leading me to do. I want to be that surrendered to him. I want to know him that intimately. Christian, that's our goal as well. That's our walk. That's our journey of sanctification as well that we come to know Jesus in terms of totally surrendering to him as our Lord and our master so that we're consumed, he's taken over our life and he rules our mind and our spirit and our actions. Do you strive for that kind of relationship? That's a question that I ask all of us, including the guy who's behind the pulpit today. Are we striving for that kind of relationship? There are many, many believers who choose to live this very superficial relationship with Jesus and don't strive to know him very deeply. But our goal in life is to be surrendered to him, that our footsteps are laid by the Savior in front of us, that we're following him and obedient to him and surrendered to him. He's not a side item of life. You don't just pull him out of your purse and go to worship on Sunday morning, but rather he is life itself and all of our life is surrendered to him. Look at John 14, verse 12. Verily, verily, Jesus says, I say unto you, He that believeth on me the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. Well, as you look at that verse, here are the primary words of a truth of the Bible. Remember in John especially, when you see the words verily, verily, or truthfully, truthfully, you can be assured that a great truth of God is coming after those two words. Verily, verily, Jesus says. So as we look at those flag words, we know a great truth is coming. And Jesus said, the day is going to come. Now catch this. The day is going to come when my disciples are going to be able to accomplish great works in the kingdom of God. And in fact, here's what Jesus says. After I am physically gone from the earth, my disciples will be able to accomplish greater works than mine. Now think about that for a moment. Think about the life and the ministry and the miracles of Jesus. And Jesus says, my disciples, my believers, will be able to accomplish greater works than mine. Now I want you to understand this. That's not in miraculous quality. No one is going to be able to produce the miracles of Jesus Christ. We can't produce a miracle. Only the Lord can give a miracle. Amen? So it's not in miraculous quality that we're going to be able to minister as Jesus has ministered. But rather, he's saying, you will have greater works in quantity. You will be able to reach out to thousands of people that they might be saved, that people will grow in the good news of Jesus Christ. In our era now, think about this, in our day and age now, Jesus says we're going to be able to accomplish great ministry. And we're living in an age that is unlike any other age that's ever been lived in human history. We're living in an age where the spoken word, the sermon of Jesus Christ, can go around the world in a second right now. And in fact, it's happening in this sanctuary to the world right now. Isn't that amazing? If you had told me in 1982, in my first few Sundays standing in the pulpit, your sermons are going to be heard around the world, I'm going to say, yeah, right. From Clifford, Virginia, yeah, okay, right. But how true it is. God has brought us into an age and an era where his word can go around the world in an instant. 
not just across the United States, but across the world to every country of the world. It's amazing. That little camera hooked to the wall gives us that opportunity and that ability to share the gospel, not just with a community, but with the community of the world. How amazing is that? So Jesus is right when he said, I'm going to be able to give you a greater quantity of ministry. He is doing that, and we're on that roll of the quantity of ministry in these days. And then Jesus qualifies how we're going to be able to do great ministry. If you take notes, this is where you need to take notes. How is it that our church will be able to do great ministry? How will our church be able to call millions in the world to the Lord Jesus Christ? How will we accomplish that? Jesus says we need to do three things. So you need to scratch these three things down. They are simple, and yet they are so pivotal to the work that we do in the kingdom. Each of these three things are equally important. You can't pull out one and live two and get the job done in ministry. All three of these tie in to accomplishing the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's number one. John 14, verses 13 and 14. Look at those two verses. Jesus says, And whatsoever ye ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. One of the greatest promises of God's Word. The power of prayer. Praying through and in the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus the Savior saying, Ask anything in my name, And, of course, according to the will of God, and it will absolutely be accomplished. If we're going to do great ministry in the kingdom, the first way that God leads us and empowers us to do ministry is through prayer. Asking God for the victory. Asking God for the steps of ministry. Communicating, communing with God. That's not an option for the believer. We don't have to make a choice about communing with God. It's, it's what we do every day. It's, it's a call for us. How could you love someone with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength and not communicate with them? How could you love someone so deeply and not speak to them for days on end? That doesn't make sense. So the Lord Jesus tells us we need to communicate and commune with him in prayer and ask anything that needs to be asked and he will accomplish that thing. True prayer is not a habit. True prayer is not a magic potion. And true prayer is not just this daily click on your calendar of, oh, I I need to sit down and pray now. It's time. I got to sit down. It's time to pray. Now, that's the way you use uh, floss for your teeth. It's time for me to floss. But that's not prayer. Prayer is a communication that is ongoing. Yes, it's wonderful when you sit down devotionally and have time with the Lord. But a communication with Him goes on all day long. Whatever the activity might be in life, we're communicating with Him. We're open to Him. We're asking for His direction throughout all of our life. So it's important that we devotionally pray. But it's important that that line of communication is open 24 hours a day with Him. When you wake up in the middle of the night for whatever reason, breathe a prayer. Communicate with him. He's listening. And when you ask God the Father to accomplish his will through the name of Jesus Christ, start looking for the answer because the answer will absolutely come. Jesus has never broken a promise. He's not going to break this promise. When you ask anything in the name of the Lord Jesus, 
for the will of God to be done, it will be done. If you're praying for rain, you better carry an umbrella because the answer is going to come in God's timing. God will answer prayers made through Jesus Christ. Listen, here's why. God loves it when we honor his son. God loves it when we give honor to Jesus Christ, his only begotten son. Okay, prayer is essential to accomplishing ministry. Here's number two. The second essential to accomplishing good ministry. If we're going to see great works of God accomplished, this is how God leads us. Look at one verse, verse 15, John 14, 15. Jesus says, if ye love me, keep my commandments. We will follow God's word, God's commandment, God's truth of the Bible to the very letter. God's truth is not in this book. God's truth is this book. We follow it to the letter. We don't mold it. We don't massage it to fit where we are. We don't reinterpret this word to fit us or to accommodate the world's thought of the day. This is God's eternal word. It's going to stand forever and ever. Not a jot or a tittle of it will be changed. Don't try to massage it around to fit us today. Live this word. Follow this word to the letter. We respect Scripture and we honor the Word of God in order to follow the Lord. God says we will accomplish amazing ministry if we simply abide in and follow His commandments, His Word. The key is we follow it to the letter, every piece of it, every part of it, every direction of it. Prayer, the Word of God. Here's number three. The third way God empowers us in accomplishing great ministry is found in John 14, look at verse 16. We're going to go through verse 20. Jesus says to his disciples and to us, And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless, I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more. But ye see me, because I live, ye shall live also. At that day ye shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. When you and I accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, when we surrender our life and our heart and our future to Him, Scripture tells us that the Holy Spirit of God takes up permanent residence in us that very moment. The Spirit of God resides in our hearts and will do so for the rest of eternity. I want you to notice that Jesus gives the Holy Spirit of God two names here. The Comforter, in Greek that's parakletos, and also the Spirit of Truth, in Greek is aletheia. Now, let's think about God the Comforter. How does God give you and me comfort as believers? If you and I are believers and have been for a long time, he has comforted us throughout our lives. Does that mean God gives us comfort by taking away every hard situation? Has God taken away every one of your trials? Have you never had a hard day after you accepted Jesus and the Holy Spirit lived in your heart? No. He doesn't comfort us by taking away the trials. He comforts us by promising he will walk with us through the trials. He will be with us. He will take care of us. It's it's His healing, it's His strength, it's His restoring for us as the Holy Spirit for our journey. 
Another translation calls the comforter an encourager. God is always building us up. When you're going through your hardest days, the Lord God, as the Spirit living in you, is encouraging you. I'll get you through this day. Take another step. I will get you through. I will strengthen you. I will bless you. I will use you for a purpose here. I will bring you through. He is our encourager. He's always building us up. So in God's wisdom, many times, He uses hardship to focus us on His strength. He uses hardship to focus us on His purpose. And I want to say this to you this morning. I believe that God has made us a better, healthier church because of a pandemic. That was a hard stretch of time. One of the hardest Sundays I've ever spent in my life was Easter Sunday 2020 when I stood in this pulpit and preached an Easter sermon to an empty house. That was a hard, hard sermon. It was discouraging when most Easters were setting out chairs and we didn't have anybody here. I know you were online connected, but not having a soul in this room other than the 10 who helped get us through that service, there was not a soul here. And yet God has redefined and resharpened who we are as a church because of our time away from one another. He has multiplied our message to the world. The first Sunday we were going into the pandemic and couldn't meet as a church, the camera for streaming went up in the sanctuary. He began sharpening the truth that no longer will your message simply be confined to uh, the sanctuary or to a radio transmission, but it's going out on the airwaves of the world beginning now, and we grew to understand that through the pandemic that the Lord has not just a local ministry for us, that's important. Our local ministry is absolutely essential, but the Lord transitioned us simply from the local to the worldwide through a pandemic. He made us a greater church even when we couldn't meet together. In some ways, we can say, Lord, thank you for a pandemic. That's hard to say, isn't it? (laughs) Lord, thank you for a pandemic. But I believe that he gave us definition. And I believe he sharpened our purpose. And he sharpened our need to reach people. And then too, Jesus calls the Holy Spirit the spirit of truth. God will never lead us to do anything outside of this word. This is his truth in written form. He will never lead us as he resides in us to take one step outside of his word. If we surrender to the leading of the Holy Spirit in our heart, we will absolutely have the Spirit in our heart and the Bible in our hand. That's the truth. We need to use it as our guidebook. God's Spirit connects us together. God's Spirit is the glue of the church. You know, there are all kinds of people in the church. And all of us have different talents, different needs, different walks of life. But the glue that holds us together is not who we are, but it's the Spirit of God living in us that brings us together as individuals, that we are the body, the one body of Christ. And the body is always open to new life and to new believers as we join together under the Spirit's guiding, living in us, that we will have a cohesive ministry into the world. It's through His leading as the Spirit in us. I love that thought that God actually holds hands with Himself when we connect with one another. The Spirit of God connects us, and He holds hands among us. The Holy Spirit is our intimate connection with one another that truly binds us together as the church. That's what makes us the church, is the Spirit of God living in every one of us, connecting us together. Look at verse 18. 
John 14, 18, Jesus says to these disciples, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Now, if you'll notice, as Jesus is speaking about the Holy Spirit here, it's always in the future. I will come to you. The Spirit will come to you. Remember, the Spirit is not given to the disciples yet. It comes on the birthday of the church in Acts chapter 2. Once Jesus is ascended to heaven and the church is born, then's where the Holy Spirit is poured upon the church and upon believers that would connect us together. So church, rest assured, we can accomplish amazing ministry through God's three gifts, and each one of them is so absolutely important. We pray together. We live this word together. And we abide in the Spirit, binding us together that we might do ministry together. Well, finally, one last verse. Look at verse 21, last verse of the day. Jesus says this, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. If you'll notice, that is a verse filled with love. Four times. Some form of the word love is used in that verse. In this mutual relationship that we have with one another and with Jesus Christ in love, we can change the world. We can change the world for Jesus Christ. One church in one little community is given the power of God and the leading of God that we can change people's lives through giving the message of a Savior who loves them, who will save them, who will change their eternity I want you to remember that Jesus originally spoke these words to his disciples. Those guys were nothing more than common, everyday men. Fishermen, common laborers, a tax collector, common, everyday guys. And yet he transformed those guys to change the world. Eleven men changed the world. And we are nothing more than a collection of common, everyday people. But he has given us the call and he's given us the ability to share the love of Jesus Christ and to literally change the world. I believe we need to be open to how God wants to use us in the big picture. Yes, we are a local ministry. Yes, we're to reach our community, but we are also given quite a blessing that we can reach the world. We preach and teach and model Jesus Christ. And as we do, as the body of Christ, he will bless us, he will favor us, and he will use us to share that gospel with the world. We have the most unique opportunity in all of the history of the world right now. It's amazing that you and I are living right now in terms of sharing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The world is much smaller now than it used to be, and we can share that message with so many from so many places. No other church in any time of history has had the opportunity that we have today. I pray that we'll seize it. I pray that we will use it. I pray that we will seek him in prayer and study and the connection of the Holy Spirit to be his church in this time that a world needs Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. God bless you and me through his Spirit binding us together that we'll be that church. And today, if you're here and you've never come to Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want you to know that he loves you. And of all the billions of people on earth today, he's concentrating on you right now. And he is sending you a message. Praise God, he uses my stumbling voice to do it. But he's giving you a message today. I went to the cross for you. And my body was broken and my blood was shed for you. I took your place of punishment there. 
And if you will acknowledge before me that you're a sinner and that you need forgiveness, and you will come and say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you took my place on the cross and you took my punishment there that I might be forgiven and saved. And you rose from the grave on the third day that I might have life everlasting. Lord, I believe it. And I give my life to you. If you're streaming with us today, wherever you are, you can say yes to Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Just as easily as those who are sitting here in this sanctuary. But if you need him as Savior, he simply wants to hear you say, Lord Jesus, I believe you. I love you. I accept you. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for these precious moments. I pray, Lord, that you will continue to bind our church together, Lord. We've been through hard days. We've been through challenges, but I believe, Lord, through the challenges that you've sharpened our passion and our desire to reach people. Lord, I pray that is so. I pray, Lord, that in this unique moment of history that we will use your gift of communication to reach the world for Jesus. I pray in these moments, Lord, that you bless us as a church that we will rededicate our lives to you as a church body, Lord, individually giving our lives to you and surrender, rededicating our church to you, Lord, to do the work that you've put us here to do. If there's one who needs Jesus as Savior, he or she simply needs to come today and say, Lord, I love you, I believe you, I accept you. Church home, whatever the need, bless us now in Jesus. Clifford Baptist Church invites you to join us for worship every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. For more information about our church, please call our church office at 434-946-0555.